Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. And I say it's a goodly morning because the weather is warm, and I really like warm weather. And I know some people struggle with the heat a little bit, but I find it hard to sympathize because we don't get enough of the warm weather. So it's a goodly morning. Are you feeling goodly or slightly too moist? Uh, what a question. I feel, um, I feel mainly goodly because I'm not at work. So the scheduling gods have been kind to me. Mm. I've ended up having kind of a longer weekend today. I'm not filming. I just had a text off my mate, Tom, who does horrible histories with me. Mm. And he's having to get dressed up as Henry VIII today, replete with fat suit, about four layers of sort of thick woolen clothing, a fake beard, um... So I feel like I've really won the lottery by not being there and not having to do anything like that. So I, I cannot complain at all. Yeah, okay. That sounds like a chore on a day like today. The work of an actor, eh? Yeah, I know. It's the hardest job in the world, isn't it? <laughs> <Famously>. <laughs> it's like being down a mine or something, you know, really hard labour. Yeah. Um, but no, I. it is a beautiful day. I took the dog out very... Much more. Hello, you you, you dropped out there. Oh, did I? Yeah. Sorry about that. You said you took the dog out early. Was that it? Pretty much, yeah. Took the dog out early. I'll take the dog out late. She doesn't do very well in the, mm. the heat of the day. She and I have that in common, basically. So <laughs> we'll be uh, hiding in the shade in the, in the midday sun. Yeah. But yeah, beautiful day. And people have had a, a good bank holiday weekend. And guess what? what? In the UK, the pandemic is over. As of this morning, Freedom Day is here. Um, COVID, what COVID, etc. Uh, good news, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it's tough for the dogs, I have to say, uh, at the moment in this hot weather. Ours are going out sure. early. We just take them up. There's a little park up the road and they they just get in the river. There's a little, well, river sounds um, quite impressive. It is, you know technically a river but it's very small it's more like a a stream kind of a thing so they get in there and they paddle around and archer lies down they're quite noisy this morning as well so there might be some barking in the background there's a a cat across the road being very provocative sure by flirting with them 
No, it's it's existing. It has the temerity to simply be a cat on the other side of the road. Archer doesn't really give a fuck, but Lana takes great umbrage at this cat. Yes, she really does. So there's going to be some noise maybe from from downstairs. There we go. That's fine. Don't worry about it. What are you barking at? Yeah. That's that's the cat is across the road bark. So uh, can the cat hear this barking or is it sufficiently insulated? Well, it probably can, but it doesn't seem to care. Uh, no. The window is closed. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good window. The cat's in no danger. The only thing that's in danger is, you know, the the TV, the broadband router because L- Lana stands up right beside it. Um, and she can get very cross about this. So sometimes things, yeah, they could they could take a whack. So if I get cut off in the middle of this, it's because she has probably just destroyed the router by accident by trying to go through the window. So Honestly, the temerity of this cat, breathing, walking, yeah. doing all its catty business. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And there's our friend with the, with the leaf blower, whatever it is. It wouldn't be Monday morning without him. Certainly wouldn't. I still haven't killed him. Well, um, you are a, a, a more tolerant and <laughs> better person than many of us. Um, tell me this. Did you catch any of Arsenal versus Rangers, Rangers versus Arsenal at the weekend? Yeah, I watched... Well, I, I kind of watched the entirety of it. Mm. I have to be honest, as it got into the second half, my attention was drifting somewhat as the kind of multitude of substitutions mm. um, turned the game into much more of a kind of training exercise than an actual competitive spectacle. But I did watch it. We were exchanging messages, um, <laughs> mourning the loss of Andres Jorgsen and our immaculate defensive set pieces. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I did, and it was. I was sort of surprised actually how so many of the squad are back already. You know, it kind of feels like oh, you know, that's sort of a yeah, yeah. I, I recognise these players. It wasn't like you know, fifteen-year-olds out there. This was mm. sort of a relatively senior side. Yeah, I mean, those are the guys who really didn't do anything in the summer or didn't have any international yeah. obligations, I guess, in the summer. And I suppose that there'll be. You know, one or two of them back for for uh, the trip to America. What happens with Grand Xhaka? Does he get more holidays? Is he allowed off? Is he, you know, what's what's happening if this Roma thing doesn't happen? Does he come back? Yeah, good question. I mean, a lot of clubs have a kind of notional deadline for deals mm-hmm. in their mind, where ideally they don't want players, you know, coming back to training or. Um, joining up for training with their old teams I think next week a lot of the Euros players end of next end of this week sorry um, come back to their clubs mm. and so I guess that will be in their mind but you know if we know anything about Shaka, it's that he's one of those kind of behind the scenes good pros so I imagine he'll tag along and try to keep a low profile essentially mm. I mean there doesn't seem to be any major developments on that one no not yet um you know, Roma's clearly trying to screw us on the money. Um, I suppose the only surprise is that we've not just accepted it <laughs> at this point. Yeah, well, look, we might get to a point where that happens. Uh, we'll probably talk a bit more on transfers later, but let's get back to the excitement of yeah. Ibrox and Rangers versus Arsenal. And yes, this, you know, do you read much into this set-piece thing? Is it a case that, 
you know, now that the, the, the guy is gone and the new guys come in, it's all higgledy-piggledy up in the air. Nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing from set pieces, or is it just kind of a bit of preseason rustiness and coincidence that three of the uh, four goals we've conceded during our, our two games in Scotland have been from set pieces? I mean, we yeah, looked I mean, weak, didn't we? I mean, I know we conceded a couple, but there was there were, there were also a couple more where we didn't win the ball. We didn't compete as well as you would expect. No. And I think, but the problem is, I mean, has the new guy had enough time for it to be yeah. in any way related to him? You yeah. know, unless he's come in and undone work that the previous coach had done, if he's been like, no, we're going to do something different. And that's yeah. led to a, a bit of confusion. I guess that's a possibility. But, you know, he's barely had a week or so working with them. So I'd be surprised if we can lay it too much at his feet. I mean, maybe it's just one of those things of, you know, lack of organisation, mm. players are just back to training, maybe not as switched on, maybe not as sharp physically. But certainly, I mean, it was a a problem and has been a problem across the two games. I suppose just odd, given that, you know, defensively, that's where we were strong last season. Yeah. Set pieces. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it, it can often work like that when you seem to sort one thing out, something else comes along and becomes yeah. a problem. But uh, look, we'll wait and see what happens during the season to make any definitive judgments on set pieces and our our ability to deal with them. Um, mm. let, let's see what else could we talk about. Well, obviously, Nuno Tavares got his first Arsenal goal. It was our first chance to see him in the red and white of Ajax. So um, <laughs> uh, what, what did you make of him? I know you can Nobody can say like uh, definitively about a player after whatever he played half an hour or one half or whatever. Um, maybe he played a bit more than that, but you know. In a game like this, you can't jump to any real conclusions, but just some early thoughts on him? Well, he's a man of his word. I mean, when he signed for the club, he did an interview, said, you know, I'm, I'm good at going forward and occasionally I I score, I can score goals, got goals with my right foot. Mm. And he delivered on that within minutes of his first appearance. So that was quite impressive. Um, thoughts on him? I actually thought he looks relatively raw at times but he physically is quite an imposing figure he's taller than you might expect of a fullback um he's clearly quick as well mm. so you know i think there are some some positive raw attributes there but i think uh as you would expect of a 19 year old you know there are elements of his game that that will need honing mm. i guess you know unlike with Shade Klasenac there is at least a realistic prospect that that might happen over the next few years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What the, did you think? I thought it was fine. He looked fine yeah. in a game like this. I, I could be wrong, but I think once or twice, I think I saw him struggle a little bit to get back, having made right. a foray forward, and that could be just fitness and pre-season work that, that gets done. But, you know, he, yeah, good goal. I liked the way he celebrated the goal, not by actually celebrating he just ran in picked the ball up and and headed back towards the center circle mm -hmm. which is good i like it you know none of this frippery of celebrating a goal in in preseason um you know uh, manly handshake slap on the back away you go again you know that's the way it should be i think yeah uh, i thought that was uh you know what you would want to see from a player business like yes that situation business like that's it um, i mean in in stark contrast to um uh, the captain pierre emerick mm -hmm. Aubameyang, who look on the one hand had chances 
to score. So that's a positive thing. But, I, you know, he's got a finite number of goals left in him. You know, at the age sure. he's in. Is that how it works? Yeah, he's, you've only got so many. You've only got right. so many left. So he's, I, I have to admire his refusal to waste any of them in a preseason game like this because he knows that uh, it's the goals he scores during the season that will count. You know, he's he's just making sure that when it comes down to the crunch, he's still got some some gold years left in him. Some you know what I mean? Sure, Not completely sure. dried up. Can we freeze his goals? <laughs> Can we freeze his goals and keep them and, and yeah, artificially yeah, yeah. inseminate the it, goals into into, into games? I don't so know, or something down the line. Yeah. <laughs> There's an image. <laughs> he. Um, yeah, Gary Lineker used to have a thing reputedly where he wouldn't score in the warm-up. And it does feel a bit like Aubameyang's now just applying that to friendly matches. I mean, some of the misses were extraordinary. Um, mm. There were a couple that I was like... I, and he has got those in his locker. We have seen them from time to time. Mm. But, you know, they, they you certainly raised your eyebrows at, at a couple of these. I almost think... I, they were almost so bizarre that I, I don't sort of read too much into them um but yeah they were curious weren't they mm, yeah i mean there was one where i think he was just a bit too casual um could have been for, i can't remember exactly whose cross it was but you know sort of fell to him and you're going well here's a goal and there's like well how has that not gone in but you know if we are looking put over wasn't there from like the corner yeah. of the six yard box yeah. and then there was a header yeah he didn't really connect properly yeah look it's one of those things where if you win a preseason game, everyone says, well, it doesn't matter because it's just preseason game. If you lose, it's terrible because you've lost. Yeah. Uh, but there is some little balance to be found, isn't there, in um, in the work that you do in preseason in terms of, like, uh, you're looking for things to to work on or to give you a platform. And if there is anything positive to be taken from the game against Rangers, I think it is that we did create more chances than we usually do. It's not that we've never done it before, but under Mikel Arteta, we are a bit chance light, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. So the fact that we did create lots of chances is a good thing. Now, got to do that in the next game and the next game and all the games. But, you know, if you give Aubameyang, typically if you give him that many chances in a game, you're going to get goals. Yeah, I think... Um it was interesting as well that Aubameyang played centrally. I mean, Balogun and Aubameyang were both in the team and I thought, you know, maybe a more natural orientation would be to have Balogun through the middle and mm. Aubameyang out wide. But the fact that Arteta didn't do that suggests that he's he's now pretty wedded to the idea of using Aubameyang through the middle. Um, and I guess if you were looking for the positives, you'd say, well, he was getting on the end of stuff. Mm. He just wasn't converting it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought, you know, that there is some encouragement to be drawn there. I, I personally think that Aubameyang will kind of uh, pick things up a bit next season. I, I don't think we're going to see the kind of inexorable decline continue. Famous last words and all that. But yeah. I think there was a lot going on last season. And I suspect if there has been any decline, I don't think it's quite as grave as it may have looked at times last year. Um I don't know, though. You know, that's just my hunch. I hope it's a good hunch, because if we are to make the kind of improvements we'd like to see, uh, an Aubameyang in form would be uh, basically a necessity. 
a necessity, yeah. no? Because, um, you know, we do have... We do have Lacazette still on the books. Whether he'll be here for the entire season remains to be seen. Balogun is obviously a very promising uh, young player. Uh, Eddie Nketiah has scored, but it looks like his future is going to be elsewhere. Gabriel Martinelli, somebody else. So, you know, when it comes to players that you might consider a sure thing in terms of a certain amount of goals a season, let's say 20 goals, and I know we fell short of that last season for reasons that you've outlined, you know, he really is one of the only ones, one of the only ones, I would say, who you would bank on scoring a specific number of goals, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, we need more from him. So mm. fingers crossed that hunch is not just optimism. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. Um, but, yeah, Dean Ketcher did get his goal, which I think is probably a good thing, even though it's a friendly. It doesn't hurt to remind potential suitors... Mm of the quality he has inside the penalty box and he took it well. Who knows, you know, it might just bring a a bidder to the table. Who knows, yeah, or at least make uh, Crystal Palace stick the two million they took off uh, back on. Uh, I mean, they've paid Mm. uh, fairly substantial money for a young centre-half from... Yeah, yeah, from, from Chelsea, who, you know... I know he had loan spells, but he he made two appearances for Chelsea, just two appearances for Chelsea, and they've spent nearly eighteen million pounds on him. Yeah, so he was we, excellent apparently for Swansea in the championship. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, listen, I was laughed out of town for my eighteen million for the Enketia, <laughs> but I, I do think that an English potential goal scorer. Mm. Um, should be pretty valuable. I mean, you know, we really ought to be getting at least 15 million for him. I really do think that. Yeah. I mean, I did write about this uh, this morning in the blog, if people want to have a read, but it's about selling and how we sell and, and needing to improve the way we sell. And that, you know, while we're all looking at who we're going to bring in and who is going to arrive to make the team better, who we sell and how we sell them and how much we sell them for is also going to be a way to... Uh, what's how would I say? Um, have some judgment on the work that the club slash technical director have done or will do during the transfer window, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a big big part of the job this summer, um, and and Ketia is probably one of the most saleable assets. I mean, sort of my personal view on it is that those players, the young English players, are probably where we should be doing the best deals you know I, I mean I, I understand the frustration of oh we can't get what we want for Shaka but if you look at Shaka's age and the kind of clubs that are interested in buying him you can kind of understand why it might be tricky mm. to get what we feel he is worth but people like Nketiah and to an extent people like you know Alex Awobi before him um Ainsley Maitland-Niles Joe Willock these kinds of players I think are where we should really be able to make our money and mm. given the fact these players have come through the academy it's all profit so yeah you know those are hugely important deals for this club and I hope we can extract the maximum from them yeah I mean that's it look um Inkedia, uh has whatever amount of first team appearances for us I should have looked this up but like he's certainly got more than two you know, than the, the yeah. Chelsea guy had. So Reese Nelson, similar, like maybe not quite as many, but, you know, these are guys with plenty of top-level experience. Um, 
European experience as well. Let's not forget. I know it's yeah. just the Europa League, but certainly... Some international pedigree in Nketiah's yeah. case. So Nketiah's, you know, 65 appearances for the Arsenal first team. 13 wow. goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously he had 19 appearances for Leeds with five goals. Um, you know, he, he has got... Uh, the potential to be certainly a, a a transfer that we could, if we do it right, make some make some money off. I'm I'm coming around to your line of thinking on this one. I got to give you. I think we have to. I think yeah. we have to try certainly. And you know, if we can't get money for him, um, I don't know who we're going to get money yeah. for. I mean, the only thing you would say that might make it a little more of an issue is the fact that he only has a year left. On his contract. Yeah. And the club obviously tried to remedy that, and he's obviously not going to go for no, that. No. Um, so that is... an extension. Yeah, that is that is something that we have to, to reckon with, you know? Um, but again, that comes that comes down to what, uh, what we do with players, what we do with player contracts, and, and when we make decisions on players. Reese Nelson um, says here he has a contract till 2023... Although I have seen it reported that the contract ends next year. So I'm not 100% sure what's going on with that one. Yeah, my understanding is that it's next year too Mm. and that the club were trying to extend it in similar fashion to Nketiah just to give them more options. I don't think it would be, you know, purely so they Mm. can then flog him, but I think it would give them the option of sending him on loan or whatever it might be. Um, And look, Nelson... 47 appearances for Arsenal, four goals, 29 appearances for Hoffenheim during his loan spell there, seven goals. You know, there's there's some value in that, in that experience. Like if, you know, Liverpool have extracted 20-odd million pounds from Sheffield United for a player who never even played for them, you know. Mm-hmm. So if those are the benchmarks in in a very broad sense, it would be disappointing if we weren't able to sell these guys for, for decent money this summer, regardless of who we bring in, if we can't get value from these assets that we've basically decided um, we're willing to part with, that would be a disappointing part of, of the summer, I guess. Yeah, I think so. And the other thing to say is that there may be aspects of this market, although it's very difficult, that can work to our favour, because I've certainly heard about clubs who, while they have very little cash to pay up front this year, in some instances are prepared to pay slightly over the odds um, over the longer term. Do you know what I mean? So mm. they might make a five-year commitment to a slightly higher fee than they would pay you know, if they paid more of it up front. So I think Arsenal can probably more than other Premier League clubs, afford a little bit of, you know, grace with the payment terms. And if that means in the longer term they get more money, mm. then that could be a good thing. But, yeah, it's... Um, I feel like our transfer business... And there have been developments, obviously. I mean, th- there was news about Ben White. Um, seemingly a deal is agreed at this point. Um but there are other areas of the squad which I do think are probably quite contingent on players going. You know, you look at uh, right back, for example, the sheer number of players mm. we have in that position, maybe even central midfield to an extent with the Granite Shack thing, who knows. But I do think that there's a degree to which that 
it's probably holding up kind of the second wave of our transfer business a little. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it is going to be really interesting because as yet, we don't have any real evidence as to how good Edu is at brokering deals for players to leave the club. I mean, we have some scant evidence and it doesn't necessarily suggest that he's going to pull some big transfer fees out of the hat. You know, when you look at Genduzi last year, we loaned him. We've done the loan with the obligation to Marseille this year. Saliba, a couple of loans. We sold. Paid a lot of people off. Yeah, we paid a lot of people off. I mean, anybody could do that. Give me a bag of cash and a gold carriage clock, and I can make anyone go away if you want. Um, mm. You know, there was the, the Saliba loan, and then the sale of Amy Martinez last year, which looks increasingly like a bargain for for Aston Villa. So mm. I think that I think in fairness, I think that was a reasonable offer at the time. You know, I mean, he had had a good few months at Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. No, but I- it was still a lot of money for that player then. Of course, what's followed, he's worth more now. But uh, I can see why they felt they had to accept that. Um given that he was basically giving sure. the club an ultimatum. Sure, you know? sure, 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 sure. I'm just sort of uh, including it as, you know, the deals that Edu has done in yeah. his role as as technical director. Oh, well, listen, and another £10 million on the top wouldn't have been insane and would have been nice. So, mm. uh, you know, I'm not denying that. But, so, mm. yeah, it is a worry. It is a worry. And mm. I don't really know quite what the kind of delineation of responsibility is with these player sales you know I don't know especially with Richard Garlick now there Mm. um, I've got a fair idea about how the club are doing their incoming business and a lot of that is being led by Garlick a lot of the talking a lot of the bids seems to go through him I would imagine the same must now be true on the sales front Mm. but you know we're we're yet to see much concrete evidence there Um, it's tricky because on the one hand I do have part of me that still wants to say, well, it's still relatively early days. You know, there's a lot of dominoes still to fall. But I feel like if we keep saying that on podcasts before we know it, the window will be up. <laughs> and we'll, yeah, we're just sort of looking at dominoes going, they didn't fall. Oh, yeah. They, what happened to, stuck. you know, fucking, gravity? <laughs> fucking dominoes. Yeah. Let me ask you this then. What did you make of the uh, the the social media posts with Edu on a yacht with Kia and Raul, mm. how do you think that will have been perceived within the club? Probably not particularly well, but I guess from Edu's perspective, they're his friends and he probably feels entitled to hang out with his friends. I think it was a purely social occasion. It was somebody's... Uh, birthday. Kia's fiftieth birthday, I believe. Right there, you go. Um, I think. It, I think. To be honest, it's more interesting with the kind of retrospective view. It tells us more about the relationships that exist between you know Jurabchi and Edu and Sanyei, which we knew about anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of confirmation of that more so than it is something that worries me about um, Arsenal's yeah, like, kind of immediate future. Sure. But would you question the wisdom of those kind of social media posts being made, given the scrutiny yeah. that were that was applied to you know the relationships? You know, um, 
not too long ago. I mean, maybe this time last year, you know, people were were looking at those relationships and wondering, hmm, what's what's this? Is this great? And then, you know, it all goes a different direction and you're still at the club. You must be aware that there has been scrutiny again. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly. So do you just not care when well, stuff you, like you that is to posted? Help me out with this. Did Edu put them out himself? No, I think they came from Edu's wife's Instagram. I and I know right. there's like, a, you, you know, this idea, well, no, I can't, I can't tell you what not to do. But I think, you know, when you're in a high-profile role like he is, yeah, it would just be better to say, look, let's enjoy the party with our friends and let's not rattle any cages. Don't have to make every single thing you do public or in the public domain. Like, I, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think Edu's perspective on it is that he feels he has nothing to hide and therefore... Mm-hmm. You know why should he behave in that way? He's he's he from his perspective. He's like I've always been open. I have relationships with agents. Yeah, yeah. That should uh, why should I disguise that? But I do think it's a little bit awkward and uncomfortable. I kind of almost think more so in the case of Sanye, um, given that he was essentially booted out of the club. Uh, you know, the idea that he's still moving in that in those circles, I think, would trouble maybe the ownership and the board at Arsenal. Mm. Um, especially if they felt he was exerting any kind of influence. But I don't think that is particularly the case. As for Kia, I mean, you know, as we know, Edu and Kia go way back. The only positive I can derive from it is that we may need Kia on side to get rid of some of his clients. Um, You know, Edu and Kia may have to collaborate to find a solution Mm. in the case of Willian or Cedric or whoever it might be. Um, So at least that relationship is intact enough for that yeah. to be a possibility look I, I i don't think um there's your personal relationships can exist um outside the 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 auspices of of your professional ones right mm-hmm. so it's just the optics of it it's the yeah, yeah it's, it's it's awkward for sure yeah it's, it's a bit i just um, I just wonder if it's a bit dim you know and that makes me worried about other stuff yeah although i do feel i have this sort of instinct about edu and it's purely instinct um that he's a bit of a survivor i have this sense the the manner the manner in which he managed to kind of extricate himself from all the awkwardness at arsenal last summer and attach himself sufficiently to Mikel arteta to me suggests someone who is quite adept mm. um, and is quite political. And I, yeah, I, I guess that's why it's surprising, but then, you know, that he would be pictured in this situation. But then maybe, as I said before, he just feels it, covering it up would be more yeah. uh, absurd in a way. Yeah, but again, yeah. Look, I mean, I think there's another element to this as well, is that last year Arsenal lost their head of football technical director in the middle of the transfer window, and it it certainly had some kind of impact on what we did and or didn't do, right? Because Mm. no matter how well set up you think you are when you lose somebody in a very high-profile position, you're sort of back to square one. You're trying to figure out who does what, who's responsible for what. 
you know, there's no way that Arsenal could go through the same thing again, you know? Even if KSE were really, really pissed off by the the pictures, they couldn't again, surely, <laughs> get rid of a technical director in the middle of a transfer window, particularly one as crucial as this one, you know? So no, there's no, definitely a bit not. of a safety I, I, net there. And also, I think they couldn't really for a picture. Do you know what I mean? No, no, I no. Think yeah, it would true. be kind of crazy. I think it's one of those things that's a bit awkward, leaves a bit of an unpleasant taste in the mouth, but ultimately he's within his rights to do whatever he wants in his personal life. You know, it's just, I mean, ultimately he'll be judged on the business that he does. Um, Mm. And arguably, I think we've probably got more to be worried about on that front than, uh, than anything else. Yeah. August 31st is the, well, I guess September the 1st is the, the day of real judgment for Edu, isn't it? In terms of, um, how we view the work that he has done. Um, I mean, here's a question from Alex, who's at Alex Cullen 17. He said, are either of you concerned that the season is a matter of weeks away and our two biggest problem areas, a starting central midfielder and attacking midfielder, are left unfilled with no signings looking imminent? Because you mentioned Ben White, and that mm. looks like it's going to get done. Um, Lokonga, I think that's pretty much done. Yeah. Um Tavares is done. Tavares is done. But still, these two really, really important positions where I think maybe there's a little bit of leeway or a little bit of grace with the attacking midfield signing. Maybe that's one. Yeah, because we've got Emil Smith-Rowe. And you you could say, well, look, we could go to the end of the window to try and broker a deal for the player we really want. Because we've got Smith-Rowe for those first three games. The issue isn't Smith-Rowe playing three games. It's Smith-Rowe being your only creative outlet for an entire season, right? So Mm -hmm. you do have a little bit more leeway with that signing. It's the central midfield starter alongside Thomas Partey that I think is the one that, that many people are hanging their hats on. With all due respect to Mohamed Elneny, you know, He's not the guy that's going to excite people going into a new season. That will feel, and this isn't his fault, extremely underwhelming if the midfield partnership for the first game or first three games of the season is is Partey and El Nenny. Yeah, and likewise, I don't think Lukonga is going to be in a position to kind of take up that mantle mm. and hasn't been bought to be that guy straight away. I think, um, you know, the Shaka question is... A significant one here, but all all signs point towards him eventually getting that move. And so, you know, arguably we probably needed someone before that. We we certainly will need someone after that. That is uh, probably the one mm. that concerns me most. I mean, I would love a creative midfielder. I would love a number 10. But it's got to be the right player and it's got to be the right fit. Um, it's got to be someone who doesn't completely block Emil Smith-Rowe's path, someone who can work with him. Um, so it, 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 I can see that that's tricky. I think central midfielder, they have to do a backup goalkeeper. They have to do uh, the rest would be nice, but it's feasible, I think, to survive without. And I think in the case of the number 10, I mean, you know, we know they went into the window with Odegaard as the main target. We know that that doesn't look particularly likely right now, but 
I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal leave the door ajar for him as long as is feasible, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, we had a question here, um, a couple of questions about this position, actually. Um, from the Discord, Ash Richards 90 said, if you were Arteta and had a choice of signing Odegaard or Madison as our central attacking midfielder, which one would you go for? And Rikunulu, oh, I can't pronounce that. Hang on. That's uh, Rikuhurula on the Discord as well. He says, which of these scenarios regarding a new creative midfielder do you think is the most likely uh, to happen? Uh, Arsenal sign James Madison. Arsenal sign uh, Husum Awar. Uh, Arsenal sign someone who they have not yet been linked with. Uh, Arsenal sign no new creative midfielder. Or Arsenal bring in a creative midfielder on loan. So which do you think is the most likely of those? I think um, they either they bring someone in on loan or someone that they've not been linked with. You know, I've never been... Uh, I've never really bought the James Madison thing, I have to be honest with you. Um, mm. I, I personally have no information to suggest that is likely. And I think I would. Um and I think that I'm sure he would love to come to Arsenal, but I'm not sure mm. how reciprocal that is. And I think Husamuar, Arsenal. There hasn't been any serious interest from Arsenal since the summer transfer window last year. Yeah, that's what that's what I heard as well. Uh, which is, I think, odd. I'll be honest. Like he is a really gifted player. Um, he profiles him incredibly well from a statistical point of view. He has great flexibility in terms of where he can play. He can play in a midfield three. He can play as number 10. He can play off the left as well. Mm. So whether Arsenal play a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, there are various positions that he can kind of rotate and operate in, um, work, work alongside mm. Smith-Rowe. He's, ch- he's cheap in real terms because French football is absolutely fucked, as we know. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, why do you think... I mean, what's changed if we were so after him last season and we were on the brink of signing him mm. last season as well? What's changed think, in the meantime? Like, is it that we've got... Have we been um, smitten by Odegaard to the point where we would prefer to do that rather than, than our? Yeah, I mean, well, the way it was... The way... What I heard was that things had come up in the scouting on and off the field that um, made Arsenal feel like they didn't want to pursue their interest. I don't know any more detail than that, I'm mm. afraid. And I don't know the player well enough to say what that might be. I think, um, nonetheless, it is odd. It reminds me a little bit of the sort of Thomas Lamar thing where we were sort of prepared to put our house on this player and yeah. then never went back for him. And it's weird how football has these moments where you're prepared to smash your transfer record for a guy who six months later you're not even interested in. Very odd. Mm. Very odd that that happens. But it does occasionally happen. If it was me and my money, I think he's the one I would go for. Um, and I, granted, I don't know everything the club knows, but it feels like an opportunity to get a very high-caliber player who we wouldn't ordinarily get, to be honest, but given that we're out of European football at a very attainable price. Yeah. Um, but the original question, the first question you asked me was, what would I do if I was Mikel Arteta? And I feel like the answer to that is always going to involve 
the words Martin Odegaard because yeah. I think he's enamoured with that player and I think what he brings off the pitch as well as on it kind of in contrast to Clower is part of his appeal and basically Madrid have to prove to Odegaard that they're serious about using him mm. and, and, and for that for him to get the answers he needs on that the season has to be underway so I think it's likely that Arsenal will give it until the season starts to see what his position is because when he wasn't playing in January last year he was very clear about going and knocking on Perez's door and saying I want to go out on loan uh, and I think if he's not playing in August he'll do the same and Arsenal stand to benefit from that but it's quite a big if, to be honest, because it, mm. it does feel like he's had quite considerable assurances about his involvement in Madrid next season. It sounds like he has, you know, to re- release the statement he did a couple of weeks ago, which yeah. more or less uh, made it clear he was not going to be returning to Arsenal. You know, I think if you, as a player, leave the door open or have the door open to that possibility, you don't release that kind of a statement. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could put something out, I guess, which, uh, you know, isn't quite as definitive as, as you know, what he did put out. So, Yeah, I, I, my, my interpretation of it is it's almost like a game of bluff, like that he has been told by Madrid, yep, we want you involved next season. And so it feels a bit like he's put that statement out as if to be like, okay, then. Let's see what you're. Let's let's see if you're as good as your word. It almost feels like there's a bit of mistrust there. Maybe he's been given these assurances in the past, and it hasn't come to pass. We know Madrid is quite a chaotic club, mm. so I think there's almost a game of kind of like uh, chicken or something, you know, to kind of see are you as good as your word. I mean, I think they will be. Why would they not use him? They're at the start of a rebuild. He's a really talented young player who they've invested considerable time and money in already. Um, they should absolutely be looking to integrate him properly next season. Um, but they are Madrid. crazy, yeah. Yeah, they are, and they are crazy, yeah. So I, I think that as long as there's a chance, you know that sort of thing, of, so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that that's Mikel Arteta and Martin Odegaard. But what were the other ones? on Someone on loan, yeah. I, I mean, I basically think it's a really... It seemed very straightforward a year ago that Arsenal needed this creative player, and I think it was. But I do think that everything that's gone on with Smith-Rowe, in terms of his emergence, in terms of the interest from elsewhere, in terms of having to give him a sizable new contract, mm. I don't think it assuages the need for someone, but it does maybe change the question, you know, from who should be Arsenal's number 10 to who is a good fit to work alongside Smith Rowe in the same squad. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think we ha- we do have a bit more time to sort that one out. The the, the other central midfielder, I think, is going yeah, to be... Yeah, that's more pressing. I mean, do you have any information on anything that's going on? I heard or I read somewhere that uh, Edu... Obviously, we've been trying to pursue uh, Locatelli, yeah. but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. I don't think that was ever likely, even if... Even if Arsenal were to agree with Sassuolo, what the player wants, I think, is is not us. It's Blindingly Juventus. Obvious, yeah. yeah. So that that makes that really complicated. But I did read last week that Edu is apparently in constant contact with George Mendes, another um, very kind and uh, lovely man, also mm-hmm. a super agent. Um, 
who represents Ruben Neves. So is that one maybe back on the table? I think that's always been an option for sure. And I can't remember if I reported it like this or not, but my understanding was always that it was kind of one that Arsenal might come back to late, Mm. depending on what happens with Shaka. Um, And maybe what happens with Locatelli. I mean, that... I like the ambition of going for Locatelli, I'll be honest. He looks like a really terrific player. Um, and I like the idea that we'd be prepared to push the boat out for him. It just reminds me of remember when Arsenal spent the summer chasing Julio Batista and he always wanted Real Madrid. And <laughs> in the end, he got Real Madrid. It feels a bit like that. Mm. Um, I just don't really think it's a realistic prospect. And maybe, in fact, there was a report in Sky Italy last week saying if he doesn't get Juve he'll stay with Sassuolo um, you know he wants to go to Juve at some point if it's now or next summer depending on mm. the finances so be it so it's difficult to get too invested in that one I just think it's a long shot of long shots um, Neves feels much more doable Wolves need to sell somebody this summer um, they've already sold Patricio but they probably need to sell one of Neves or Traore uh, from what I hear, it feels like a, a fit, you know. It feels like he would want the move. It feels like they're stylistically, he kind of replaces a little of what Shaka does. Mm. The age profile is in the right ballpark. The fee is in the right ballpark. I mean, yeah, if you ask me to put my money on it, I'd say it will eventually be him. Um, but, you know, as you say, Someone's got to play at the start of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So they do have to make a decision on that one pretty quickly, I think. Um, you know, to give whoever it is some time to to adapt, etc., etc. What date is it today? It's the the 19th of July. So about six weeks out, are we slightly under? Yeah, well, start of the season is the 13th of August. So, right, you so know, we're in less than a month from that. If you want a new... If you want the party partner... You know, you you want him to start the season. That's a signing that you want to start the season, surely. You'd like that. But then if you think about it, I mean, look at what Arsenal did in the last summer window in terms of having to trigger Thomas Partey's release clause literally on the final morning mm. of the window. I think, you know, I think we know about this, the people running this show here, that they are going to use brinkmanship and they're going to... Be indecisive. <laughs> yeah. That's one well, way. Well, maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. I mean, but they've not been indecisive about Ben White. I mean, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Mm. They clearly were convinced in that case, um, sufficiently convinced to spend an awful lot of money. Yeah. Well, look, we'll have more transfer talk, I think, in, in part two. Um, just going back, was there anything else we needed to talk about from the two games in Scotland or...? We've done that to death. Is there anything? I think we've kind of done it to death. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there's some good questions coming up in part two, so let's let's get straight into that. All right, we will take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Do you mind if I go first? Would that be okay? No, that's absolutely fine. We've had quite a lot of questions mm. about Nicolas Pepe. Now, I, th- I thought he was good against Tibbs. He was good against Rangers as well. Um, so John B says, what are you expecting from Pepe this season? I've got a feeling he's going to do big things this year. He seems ready. Uh, Arsenal Nair says, um, tagged you in this once. Here it is again. Pepe hasn't played a full season in front of a crowd yet. Signed 2019, football shut down March 2020. Hasn't been full crowds back yet. Could this have uh, affected his integration? And we also have one from at Geezy Peas who says... Why doesn't Pepe tend to get mentioned when talking about players to build the evolution of this team on? I know he had a slow start, but I think he's really settled now. He's just turned 26, has another three years on his contract, and for me, is actually our best player. Now, some people might take uh, exception or a difference of opinion with him being our best player, but it is an interesting point, isn't it, about his profile in terms of this rebuild, and as one of the cornerstones of a rebuild, he is exactly the profile that you're looking for. Yeah, he is. And he's one of the few players in the squad who's in that age bracket, really. You know, not in his early 20s starting out, not in his 30s coming towards the end. He's kind of in his prime right now. And actually, his numbers are very good. I mean, Mm. if you look at last season in the Premier League, he scored 10 goals but he only made 16 starts. Similarly, in the Europa League, he scored six goals and only made 10 starts. Um, Overall, factoring in his 16 or so substitute appearances he made, I think he scored 16 goals in 50-odd appearances. So it's it's, it's close to one in three, one, uh, one goal in every three appearances, which is a very good return for someone who's not starting that many games. I think the reason he's not Part of the reason he's not talked about um, as fondly or maybe as much part of the plan, I think there's there's the slight question over him and Bukayo Saka. You know, for the majority of last season, they played in the same part of the pitch. Mm. And, you know, Saka's shone for England playing in that position too. Um, I think there's a bit of uncertainty over exactly who is going to get the nod there and what that would mean for Saka if it's Pepe. Yeah, I I just feel like Saka and Pepe shouldn't be an either-or situation for this no, club. No, it shouldn't you know? be, I agree. You know, I, I know why it has been, 
But I think one of the things that Mikel Arteta, you know, has to think about is like who are we talked about Aubameyang, right? As a player who all going well would guarantee you a certain amount of goals. Nicolas mm-hmm. Pepe, I think he's a potentially more than this, but you know, more or less a ten to fifteen goal a season player in all competitions. Yeah, he should right? be. He should be. I, I think he is. Um, what's he got? Well, twenty four goals. Yeah, he should be maybe 10 to 15 goals a season, minimum, I think, for him. But that gives you some amount of guarantee. So he is a player that if you're the manager of a team that doesn't score enough goals, that doesn't create enough chances, uh, he's a player you want in your team. So too is Bukayo Saka because he scores goals and he makes chances as well. So to maximize your your efficiency or or whatever you want to call it, those two players need to be factored into your first team thinking, I reckon. And not, well, we'll start the season with Pepe there because, you know, Saka needs a rest and, and he does and we all know why and understand why. But when Saka's fit again, I don't think unless Pepe's playing terribly, it should be a case that he comes back into the team to relegate Pepe to the bench. You know, no. I mean, if you're picking a team based on the eleven best players in the squad, you'd certainly have them both in it. I yeah. mean, I think if you were picking a team based on the five best players in the squad, there's a chance you might have them both in it. Yeah, for sure. So you're right. They need to uh, uh, they need to find a way for them both to be on the field, and I think that's possible. You know, they can both play as of last season. Both sides. Pepe had some really good games on the left as well mm. as some good games on the right and Saka has done previously I just think in terms of why he's not talked about in those terms I do wonder if kind of the devotion to Saka that the fan base understandably feel might be mm. part of that I also think that it's hard to change people's minds in football and Pepe flopped in his first season basically he was a disappointment and it felt like too much money and However well he may have done since then, I just think people, some some of that lingers, some of that feeling and that sense of like mistrust endures. And I think that's probably unfair, to be honest, because, you know, as Ricky says, I think he's been very, very good, particularly in the mm. last few months. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting one. How, how would you set them up to, to get the best out of both of them? It's a good question. I I suppose it depends on what formation you're going to play because you can talk about both of them being able to play on the left, but I do think Saka can play in more positions than Pepe. Yeah. And I wonder, and I'm sure I've said this before, that I I wonder if Saka will ultimately end up more central for us than a wide mm-hmm. player because I think he's got the ability to play as an eight, if you like. So how would I set them up together? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. But I, I feel like that's something that, that Arteta's got to find a way to do. He could easily play Saka on the left-hand side uh, of the front three. Saka, Aubameyang, Pepe, pretty tasty to me. I know Smith that in there too. Smith yeah. Rowe is your, your one behind. But what do you what do you expect from Pepe? Do you feel like he is a player who has earned the trust of Mikel Arteta because it felt a bit like that towards the end of his first season. And I think there were a number of 
mitigating factors as to why his first season was not as successful as we had hoped. Mm-hmm. You know, when you say he was a flop in his first season, I get it. But, you know, new country, new language, new team, new style of play, a manager who didn't really want him, who sort yeah. of made it clear that he didn't really want him as well um, by talking up the player that he did want, who's, who was also an international colleague, uh, you know, the Emery thing falling apart, Arteta coming in, lockdown, all of those things, I, you know, I'm, isn't to make excuses, but it's to, to sort of lay out why that first season might have been difficult for him. But he ended strongly. He ended it strongly. He was great in the FA Cup final, and it looked like he had um, bought into whatever it was that Mikel Arteta was looking for. And then mm-hmm. we did the stupidest thing that this club has done in quite some time, and that's really saying something because we're we've done some things. Man, have we done some things? But we, you know, we brought Willian in to play in his position, which I think mm-hmm. must have affected his confidence. By the end of the season, though, he was playing well. He was scoring mm-hmm. goals. He was creating mm-hmm. chances for others, and it fi- it felt like okay, maybe it's clicked. For him now, it's clicked between him and the manager. It's clicked, you know, with him at the club. He he now feels settled and happy enough. So those are promising signs ahead of next season, assuming we don't do something stupid, which you can't rule out. No. And what do I expect from him? To be honest, more of the same. I expect he'll still have games where he frustrates people or certainly moments where he frustrates people. But I think he'll still be productive. Mm. And I think if he plays enough football, he'll get 15 goals. Uh, and those will be very valuable to us because we're not a team blessed with loads of goal scorers. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I'm not going to say he's going to go stratospheric this season and he's going to have his Mo Salah breakout season where he scores 40 goals and you know wins the Ballon d'Or or something. I don't, I don't predict that. I don't mm. doubt that he's got the ability, but you know, f- to go through that kind of transition, I think takes so much more than just talent. Yeah. And I-, I don't know if that will happen, but I don't think that should detract from how useful he can be for us. Mm. I mean, ultimately, we've said it so many times: we're a team that don't score enough goals. Therefore, the people who are the goal scorers, you know, are are very, very precious to us, and he's one. And so we we need to get him on the field as often as possible. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, let's have another question. Mm. Okay, who's summer while we've done this? We had this from Fred on Twitter, who's at RLF86, which I quite enjoyed. He said, given how much coverage there is of friendlies these days and the strange fascination, uh, strange fascination people have over losing a game, putting it politely, do you think we'll ever see the day when a team sack their manager over poor results during pre-season <laughs> friendlies? Um... It must have happened, surely, already. No, it must have happened at some point somewhere in the world where, you know, a coach who was maybe hanging on got um, shit games right. somewhere. But, like, you ca- you couldn't really be... Like, if you got beaten 7-0 by Hibernian and 8-0 by Rangers and you go and you play Inter Milan, you lose 12-0 or whatever, you know, you can't... You can't just use out the well. It's only preseason, because you know the the 
the level of defeat was so high. But, you know, that's not what happened. And that is very unlikely to happen. So that's the only way I could actually see that being a realistic thing where, you know, a team just want to get rid of a manager and yeah, do something. I think that's plausible. I think that is plausible that, you know, they talk about a manager losing the dressing room. I think you could probably see that even in a pre-season game. Mm. And if you think, place it in context of other things that would presumably be happening in the club, other conversations that would be going on, a manager losing his job. I think a manager coming into a club and losing it before he's had his first competitive game, I think that's extremely unlikely. But <laughs> like you say, a manager under pressure or under fire who isn't producing a reaction... Mm. pre-season I could I could certainly see that leading to a sacking yeah Mm. okay here's one from Selbridge Gooner who's at Selbridge Gooner and he says do Arsenal fans have a little bit of snobbishness believing that our technical style of play doesn't uh, doesn't suit Joe Willock but he would suit a lesser side like Newcastle hmm Um, I actually don't think that's about being a lesser team, I think it's, I think it's more about style. Like you know, if Joe Willock went to a great counter-attacking team who were competing for the title, I, I think he would still be a better fit in some ways for them than he would for a possession-based team, which is what Mikel Arteta seemingly wants. Mm. So it just so happens that the way football is is that you know teams in the lower reaches of the leagues adopt that style more frequently um but you know i i think is it snobbish i definitely think there is a bit of a snobbishness among football fans generally about their own divisions i do think you know we're much kinder on european leagues and european players than we are some that are closer at hand if i was speaking in very general terms but i think no, I, I don't think this is snobbishness about Willock. I think actually it's quite um, a nuanced and intelligent discussion because, you know, we've just said we're a team that lack goals and Joe Willock's just been on a great run of goal-scoring form. And I think if we were um, being very simplistic about it, we would just do that equation and go, therefore, Joe Willock must stay. But actually, the fact that there is more discussion amongst the fan base and more debate around that, to me, suggests that we're actually looking at it in quite a sort of broad, holistic way that encompasses all facets of his game, you know? I I do think think the Willock one is really fascinating because, you know, the, the argument that his value will never be higher is probably true. Maybe it's true. Who knows? But you know, right now you can see it's a it's a fairly uh, it's it's not too dissimilar from the Emmy Martinez situation. Yeah, and it could you know? be the same. I mean, who who you know, Emmy Martinez was pretty underwhelming at Arsenal for many years, and a lot of Arsenal fans, not myself, but certainly some, have been very underwhelmed by Joe Willock. It doesn't mean you know players mm. can always blossom in unexpected yeah ways. Um, but a bit like last year. If Arsenal get an offer of twenty million pounds plus, it will be very tempting. It will, and if they sell him and he goes and scores a load of goals, people <laughs> will yeah, probably yeah. have something to say about that. I mean, I know I do get the point as well that like it was an unbelievable streak of goals that he went on, and those who say he will never do that again, 
are probably right. But he doesn't have to do exactly that either. You know what I mean? He doesn't have to score seven games in a row. If Joe Willett gets you seven, eight goals in the Premier League from central midfield, that's a bigger return than we've had from all of our central midfielders combined for about three years. You know? So I'm not saying he would do that either. I I, I think this is a really difficult one for the club to, um, to make a decision on. It will depend entirely on how much money is on offer from Newcastle. And it doesn't look like it's a lot because, you know, um, there's well, the talk of a loan, yeah. yeah and, and there's some issues there with the ownership and what have you. So, you know, is Mike Ashley going to spend £30 million on a footballer when he's trying his best to sell the club? I'm not sure that he is, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It is, it is, and, you know, he was there with the squad, wasn't he, uh, in Scotland? And Yeah, he came on against yeah. Rangers. Came on against Rangers. I mean, there's a decision to be made for sure. Um, and also, he'll have a perspective. I think you know he'll want to know where he stands, how much he's part of the plans. I don't think it's purely down to Arteta as to, to um, Arsenal. Yeah. You know, did he did he release a statement to say thanks to Newcastle fans, and did he make it clear that he wouldn't be coming uh, back? I think he did right at the end of the season, he but did, it wasn't. Yeah. So, you know... He left the door open. Smart guy. Smart guy. Here's another one, actually. A similar kind of um, territory. It comes from the Discord from Steam Pedals. And he says, Are we fans guilty of being too attached to young players? I often find myself daydreaming of Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli et al. playing their whole careers at Arsenal and delivering several quintuple campaigns. But when I think back to the last 30 years, many of our favourite gunners came to us as established senior players. Wright, Bergkamp, Perez, Cazorla, Mertesacker, etc., are we too focused on the promise of youth? Well, I mean, it comes back to slightly to the question about Pepe and, you know, why is he not held in the same esteem as some others? And it's very difficult to compete for the affections of fans with a player who has come through the academy. There is a kind of a completely natural and I would say reasonable bias towards them. You know, we want them to flourish and succeed we see them as our own they're not stained or damaged in any way mm. by associations with other clubs they're basically free yeah. i mean you know i think it's natural and right even for a club to kind of lean into its academy and the supporters to want those players to succeed they're the, um, the purest thing about football for a while you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they, they come from within. They're homegrown. They're, they're club lads. They've grown up, you know, um, imbued with everything that the club can give them in terms of a footballing education, et cetera, et cetera. And they haven't, I think you just said it, they haven't done anything to disappoint us yet. And no. then they play for a while and then you see limitations or things about the game or their game that you don't like. And then, you know... All the gloves are off, basically. They're just any other footballer at that point. Um, but yeah, I think the promise of them is something that is in the cynical football world we live in right now, 
there is just something fundamentally pure and clean about a young player coming through to a you know a club like ours and of course there's like historical precedent as well when you think of you know the generation of Tony Adams Martin Keown David Rocastle Michael Thomas Paul Davis all these uh, players who who made it through uh, you know, even someone like Liam Brady, who who came from Ireland, but, you know, came to Arsenal at 15 or whatever it was, you know. Um, some of our treasured heroes are, are guys who've taken that exact path. Yeah, you know, Tony Adams, whoever it might be. But I think it's interesting, you know, there are kind of different types of academy player. I think there are some, and I think I would say Saka is in this bracket, who are just of outstanding stupendous quality and in whom getting them through your academy is kind of winning the lottery you mm. know and you know they they are there on merit if they'd come from any other academy in britain you'd still be hoping your team bought them and then i think there are others who kind of make up the numbers mm-hmm. a little bit or who who might not um ordinarily get that opportunity i'm thinking of someone like kieran gibbs for example, right, mm. who came through at Arsenal, impressed as a teenager, had a decent place in the first-team squad, ultimately was fairly limited and you know, superseded by Nacho Monreal, who, mm. was, who was brought in. But over that period of time, he made a pretty decent contribution to Arsenal on with no transfer fee, probably with pretty modest salary, um, he he never got his career's gone nowhere since then with respect to him. I mean, you know, he's not had a good time of it. He's now in America. Um, he was with West Brom, but kind of in and out of the team, injury problems, etc. But for a period of time, he was just sort of useful to us, and I think that that's okay. I don't think they all can be or have to be mm. Bukayo Saka. I think sometimes, you know, if we sell Ainsley Maitland Niles this summer. He's done his job. He was a really handy, versatile squad player mm. who got us out of holes, made big contributions in some really big games. It didn't work out. Here's, some, here's a check and stick that back into your academy and develop more players. I mean, that's fine too. Do you know what I mean? I just think there are kind of two tiers of academy player yeah. and we shouldn't conflate them as one. They can't all be Bukai Saka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. All right, I'll do, I'll do another one here. Um, this one comes from Dan Bannell, who's at Dan underscore Bannell. We talked about it a bit earlier, but he said, is Arteta's hiring of set-piece coach Yover another comfortable appointment as someone who won't challenge Arteta's ideals too much? My preseason overreaction is that defending set-pieces looks weak, and we're set to add Ben White, whose strength is not in the air. Uh, just to sort of expand on that a little bit, the relationship between um, Mikel Arteta knows... Nicholas Yeover because they worked together for a period at, at Manchester City. So where, mm. where do you view that? Like, is he just bringing in someone that he knows because that's comfortable or is he bringing in somebody he knows is good and can help his team? Well, he's bringing someone in from a pretty elite organisation and mm. one that doesn't appear to be built on people kind of resting on their laurels and not challenging each other. I mean... One of the things that I think is impressive about Manchester City is that they all manage to motivate themselves despite the vast amount of money they're presumably all sitting on. Um, so I, I, that doesn't concern me. I think if we're bringing people in from Man City, tells you something about where we are maybe, but we should probably be pleased with that outcome. Mm. Um, 
I think it pro- we are probably still in pre-season overreaction territory to get too worried about the set pieces. I was just thinking about it and thinking about the fact that obviously Gabriel isn't there at the moment. He will probably help in that regard. Mm. Cedric was playing at right back against Chambers. I mean, we concede a lot of height playing Cedric rather than Bell. Uh, Chamber, I'm saying, yeah. If we play Cedric rather than Chambers, we concede an awful lot of height. Um, there's probably one or two more. I mean, Shaka's pretty good defensively on set pieces. Obviously, that's yeah. something we need to replace. So, I think we've got to we've got to give it a bit more time before we sort of get out the uh, the placards saying fraud and hold them all up at the set piece. Coach. Yeah. What do you I, think? I, I know you talked about this, didn't you, when you talked about the two... Was it you or was it Tim Stillman who was talking about this? Could have been Tim on the Arsenal Vision podcast, where last summer he brought in a couple of really young coaches mm. who maybe, you know, because of their age and their the point that they're at in their careers, wouldn't have any sort of authority that would be challenging to Arteta. And I could see yeah, that as young yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Young guys are going to be happy that they got their job and like, they're not going to pipe up and, and start talking over the manager. But like, do you just hire a bunch of yes men or are you looking for an environment which is challenging in some ways, which I think you kind of have to have. Mm. You need people to question you, whether you ultimately listen to them or not. Uh, is a is another thing. I don't think you learn as much if you've just got you know, yes boss, yes boss, yes boss, good idea boss. You know, people who can say, well, why not think about doing this? Think about this guy. Think about this scenario. You know, you need that. And I think if Mikel Arteta is serious um, about being a top class manager, I don't know that he would miss out on that part of his education. If you know what I mean. Does that make mm. does that make sense? Like, did Mikel Arteta go to Man City and just say yes, Pep, yes, Pep, yes, Pep? I'm not sure he did. I, I highly doubt it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't see why he was far less achieved in the game than Pep Guardiola would feel he is not in a position to be again, I'm saying question, but you know what I mean? To to have people on his staff who are going to bring different things to the table. So I, I just think he knew this guy. Um, the other guy went off to become, what, sporting director at Malmo? Yeah. Which is a fairly is significant... Opportunity. Yeah, for him. And we didn't stand in his way. So you know there's a guy who you think is good, is a good coach, is a specialist in an area you now need a specialist. You go get him. That would be my thinking. Yeah, I think... I think that's about right. I think um, he, yeah, he, he also isn't someone who places great stock. It's funny because he does seem to, or did seem to, in terms of players, in terms of experience. And, mm. you know, if he felt he could come in and challenge Guardiola, having never been a coach before, maybe he expects the same of the likes of Carlos Cuesta and, and Molina, the two young coaches he brought mm. in last year. It's one of those interesting ones where, when you're losing games, it's very easy to say, well, you should put more experience around him. You know, and then he wins a few and you're like, wow, you know, it's, it's all fine again. It's just, yeah, yeah. It, it's very hard for us to, to be specific about the dynamics between those coaches without experiencing them ourselves. But 
I, I generally think this guy sounds like quite an impressive hire. I don't think they wanted to lose Andres Jorgsen. I think, like you say, it was mm. a good opportunity for him and they've not stood in his way. Um, but, you know, if you're going to bring in somebody from somewhere, let it be Man City. I mean, I guess what we should really be doing is looking at their set-piece record from last season uh, and assessing it accordingly. If only one of us had access to a uh, an analytics department for the publication we worked for. I know. Well, I'm on holiday at the moment, Andrew. Take it up with Art de Rocher. You know? <laughs> Maybe I will. Uh, have you got a question? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, this is an interesting question, um, which has come from Toby Lilyleaf on the Discord. And Toby says, Are Arteta and Edu's future intertwined? Or are there scenarios where they are judged independently? I think they are quite intertwined, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I can see scenarios where, where one or the other could go without mm. the other one going, you know? Mm. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this time next year, if we had a, if we had a reasonable season, you know, we made some improvement. We got ourselves back into the Europa League, back into Europe. If we were there or thereabouts uh, in terms of the top four conversation, but fell short, you know, I don't think that's the kind of season Arteta has to have. So he 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 would stay then. But I wouldn't be surprised if this time next year Edu was gone. Mm. Simply because I just... there's. I just have a funny feeling about that one. Um, similarly, it's much easier to see Arteta staying and Edu going than it is to see Edu or Arteta going and Edu not going as well. If that but it's supposed sense. to be the other way around, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the technical director is supposed to provide the stability and the five-year plan. Mm. But like if if at the end of the transfer window... I mean, we could be happy, but what if we get these players and they don't work? I mean, that's going to be on Arteta, obviously, as the manager. He won't be able to get the results. But I think it would also be, it would reflect on Edu because, you know, he's the technical director. He has said, whether it's on the record or not, but I think it has certainly been reported more than once that he has made himself the point of contact for all transfer business at Arsenal. Mm. So there's there's your line in the sand. That's who's responsible. So, you know, if we bring in a load of players and they don't do well, it's bad for Arteta, but it's also bad for Edu. Maybe another manager could get more out of them. But, you know, I feel like, I feel like if Arteta goes, Edu would probably go with him. But I could see a scenario where Edu goes and Arteta doesn't. Yeah, interesting. I think that in an ideal world, you would be able to judge them independently. But I don't know how you realistically do that. Like, is it the technical director's fault for the deal? Mm. Especially in a situation now where the manager, we know the manager has a significant input into the transfer business. Or is it, you know, if the manager can't get the best out of the player... Mm. then, you know, yeah, yeah. to what extent is that technical director's fault? It's very, very closely linked. I mean, I think uh, in an ideal world, you'd be able to separate them, but I don't think you reasonably can. No, and I think that's because of how it 
how it came about. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the sense that, it, you know, it felt a little bit like when when the changes happened last summer, that Edu was lucky to to stay on. Yeah, Therefore, I mean, he clung to the life draft that life raft that was Mikel Arteta. Yeah. That's my interpretation. Yeah, and that then diminishes his authority, no, in the position that he's in, because you know, realistically, technical director should be, you know, above the well, the manager or slash head coach. Again, there's the manager situation, the manager issue, you know. Yeah, uh, and again, like you, 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 you sort of envisage the the technical director would be the guy who's got the close relationship with the board and the ownership, and the managers maybe one step removed from that. But that's not really the case at Arsenal. That that hierarchy isn't quite intact anymore. Mm. So I think they they probably will be grouped and judged as one. Um, and I have to say, I don't think either is in imminent danger. But uh, I think if one is, the other will be sucked into it. I just can't mm. see a way. <sighs> unless unless Eddie just doesn't get the business done. Yeah, there's window, another scenario, yeah. If he just doesn't get it done and Arsenal's results suffer, I think Arteta will... It will be a reasonable defence for Arteta to say, well, what happened, you know? Yeah, here's a good question from the Discord from KT, who says, do you think the Willian situation unfairly tarnished perceptions of Edu and Arteta's work since Raul left? And he says, Gabriel, Party, Odegaard, Tavares, Lokonga, White. That's a strong mm. pool of targets, and to me there does seem to be a plan and a clear focus on younger players. Should we just relax and let them do their work? I mean, who can relax at the moment? Who, who Crazy people can relax, but interesting <laughs> point. It is. I mean, I have to say, if we're going to be fair, Partey and Gabriel were both deals Sanyei had worked on, you know. Mm. Um, it's not right to credit those. In fact, you know, a lot of the groundwork had been done um, by Sanyei. He has had uh, a couple of other things. I think the Aubameyang contract was one. And to but, be fair, Partey, a player that was, um, you know, heavily scouted and reported on by uh, Francis Kajigao, as well before yeah. he left yeah exactly I mean that deal was kind of almost there to be done since 2018 you know they talked about doing it through Emery and you know there's a real history with that one um, Gabriel Sanier was very connected with Lille as we know <coughs> um, and helped sort of smooth that deal over get that over the line but when you lay the list out like that I mean I actually think this more broadly about Arsenal, um, that if you look at the last few transfer windows, I do think the Willian deal uh, maybe has an undue degree of weight within the analysis of those windows. Like, if you go back further than that, there are some really encouraging, promising signings of good young players. Yeah. Um, but there are also Cedric deals, you know, there's also yeah. David Luiz. Um, you know. Yeah, that's that, that's true. That's true. But, I, you know, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but I'm saying for every mm. Willian, there's a Kieran Tierney. For every Cedric, there's a Gabriel Martinelli. It's not, the, it's not the case that Arsenal have done exclusively bad things in the last few transfer windows. Mm. Um, 
I think it's more even-handed than that. And I think if you look at, as the question asks, um, the last couple, since those two guys were at the helm, mm. there's not too much there that many fans would take major issue with. Um, <clears throat> I suppose where, where that becomes interesting is what changed. And I guess what changed is that Mikel Arteta went from head coach to manager. Mm. And and maybe... Um, this is a guess, but maybe he's had a, a fairly significant role in what Arsenal do and don't do. I don't know. It's again, in terms of an analysing them individually, it becomes very difficult, doesn't it? It does. It does. But I think part of it is that there was an acceptance that we had to change. You know, why was Unai Emery brought in to replace Arsene Wenger? It was, you know, to bring in a, a relatively experienced manager, keep us more or less in the top f- four conversation. Maybe he could win us the Europa League and get us back in. But it was mo- there's been a lot of, um, in recent years, it feels like Arsenal are desperately trying to roll sixes to just sort of stay in the game a little bit, to hang on to the coattails of, of other teams. Like, we're, all, we're almost there. If we just did this, it might give us enough of a boost to get back. And we're at a point where that, you know, hasn't worked. It won't work. And you've got to do something different. So maybe this summer, seeing the, the, the ages of the players that we have been linked with, like, most of them are around 22, 23, 24, is part of that strategy that's been laid out. Whose plan that is, I don't know. Whether that's Arteta's plan, the club's plan. I don't know who at the club would have the plan if it wasn't Arteta, you know. Um, mm. So maybe that's that's what we're seeing playing out this summer. And again, we'll come to the end of the transfer window and we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, I think the last one for now. Go on. Why does Danny Mills hate Robert Perez so much? <laughs> Did you see the comments? Yeah, he invented diving or something. Robert Perez was the first player to bring in serious diving in England, said Danny Mills. Yes. I googled this just while we were talking. I googled it because I just wanted to get that quote. And I see an article from 2016 on Eurosport. Danny Mills. Robert Perez brought diving into the English game. So this isn't yeah. even the first time he's gone off on this nonsensical bullshit. What's wrong with him? Why can't he let it lie? What did Robert Perez ever do to him other than make him look like the very average footballer he was? Well, I think it's it's precisely that, isn't it? Danny Mills used to get a torrid time against Arsenal. Um mm. Was there an instant where Thierry Henry absolutely humiliated him by the corner flag once? Like a yeah, nutmeg or something. I do think that, you know, he's been left with a few scars and uh, a few sensitivities. Mm. But yeah, very strange. I mean, uh, the, it's such a nonsense idea. I mean, you know, diving to an extent has always existed. I think it's obviously been exacerbated a bit in the modern game, but... You know, you had Jürgen Klinsmann in the 90s coming over. You had Michael Owen in the 90s falling over every opportunity. Well, that's, yeah, that's it. it I, I remember when Ozzy Ardiles came to play for for um, 
for Spurs. Same right. thing. He was labeled a diver. And that was the 80s. Mm. I mean, Robert Perez arrived at Arsenal in the year 2000. Michael Owen jumped over an Argentinian defender's leg at the World Cup in 1998. Maybe yeah. Robert Perez was watching. Thought, that seems like a good idea. I'll have a go at that. But it is just nonsense, jingoistic, blame the foreigner for, you know, the thing you don't like because it doesn't connect with your your sort of sensibilities as like a hard but fair English footballer. We would never do any of this. It's the foreigners. They took our jobs. That kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, and it's a classic instance of like, there's one very high profile example, isn't there, of Pirates diving against Portsmouth. And that's, yeah. But like... And I'm trying to be fair and reasonable in this. It's not something I recall. You know, I, I, he wasn't exactly, you know, going shoulder to shoulder with people and staying on his feet when he shouldn't. But I don't remember him throwing himself to the ground all the time. No. I honestly don't. And there have been Arsenal players I probably would say that about. Um, you know, if I think of someone like Ganduzi or to an extent Shaka, I mean, they've made an art form of kind of buying free kicks. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Pires was quite in that category. I just don't think he was. I think the Premier League wasn't um, uh, was probably involved more contact in his time than it does now. Mm. So yeah, I I just don't quite see it. I think it's just, it just sounds like quite an embittered evaluation on Mills's part. Yeah, yeah. Surprise, 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 surprise. Yeah, yeah, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? You know, it just does not stand up to any examination whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I mean, if my only way of getting close to some of these players was kicking them, I'd probably accuse them of diving too, you know? Do you want to hear some sad truth? <laughs> that that well, is that is the only way Yeah, for you. Well, that's it, and I'm sick of all these people diving when they play against me. <laughs> Absolutely sick of it. Especially, they, they, especially if they come from... Somewhere else. If they have a non-UK passport, then I'm absolutely incensed about the whole thing. Yeah, it's really odd. Mm. I mean, who who cares what Danny Mills thinks, though? Do you know what I mean? It's a very good point. Well made. Not Robert. I would say not Robert Perez. No, I think you know there were some responses back in the 2016 article where Robert Perez sort of hit back at Danny Mills. You know, classic tabloid hit back, but probably just refuted his suggestion that he was the one that brought diving to English football when you know clearly it's been part and parcel of the game for decades. Um, you know, and it's just way too easy to blame Johnny Foreigner for for what is perceived as you know game gamesmanship etc etc so anyway fuck danny mills Uh, and on that cheery note we'll leave it there because the weather's warm and uh you know we should all get out and try and enjoy that warm weather james as always thank you very much indeed thank you to everybody for uh for listening for being here for downloading supporting joining us on patreon and all the rest uh enjoy the summer hopefully we'll make some signings soon it seems like the lokonga thing is about to happen today that would some, be nice. Seeing some pictures being posted and stuff. So uh, it's already it's already out of date. But hey, what can you do? Thanks again, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 